Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series by H2 Tech, the Hydrogen Technology Journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Tyler Campbell, Managing Editor for H2 Tech, and your host for this week's H2 Tech Talk. Today, we are joined by Joris Mertens and Thomas Brew from KBC, a Yokogawa company. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Thank you. Getting Thanks. close to the weekend. Good to be on. Thanks for inviting us. Yep, absolutely, no problem. Um, can we start by me first asking you about your your role at KBC? Um, we can start with you, Joris. So I'm a principal principal consultant. Been with KBC for 25 years. My that's my historically or most of my career I spent on hydrogen processing, hydrogen consuming, and hydrogen producing technologies. Recently, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm more and more focusing on decarbonization. Yeah. How about you, Thomas? I'm a senior engineer at KPC. Um, I work primarily in the energy team. Uh, so looking at refineries and petrochemical facilities uh, globally and how they can reduce their energy consumption. All right, fair enough. So uh, let's go ahead and start with with the first question here. Um, what have you been investigating uh, regarding decarbonization solutions? Okay, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, so we've been uh, we've developed a, a decarbonization roadmap, and more specifically, a uh, decarbonization roadmap for hydrogen production using one specific technology: steam methane reforming. So um, we've investigated three options of doing that for doing that. So one is uh, efficiency improvement of a technology, and then applying pre-combustion or post-combustion capture of the CO2 that the unit emits. And um, uh, in addition, we 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 looked at decarbonization. So looking at a track that leads to um, net zero emissions by 2050 and more specifically we're trying to keep track of of uh, the IEA so the International Energy Agency net zero emission curve so the IEA has um, has um, predicted a trajectory or developed a trajectory to follow if you want to get to net zero and uh, by 2050 uh, maintaining the one and a half uh, well, staying below one and a half degree C globally, so that's what we uh, we we apply this to uh, uh, to steam methane reforming. And uh, but the point is, of course, that with these technologies that I just explained, you don't get to uh, you don't get there if you keep feeding fossil fuel uh, fossil feeds alone. Uh, logic, because uh, steam methane reformers they they generally well they emit CO2 uh and uh, not all not all co2 is captured so we also looked at the um the amount of low carbon feed uh, feed with a lower carbon intensity that is required to 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 get there so yeah we we, we did that we quantified the uh, the impact of these technologies and the amount of low carbon feed required and we did that uh, using our uh, simulation software uh, petrosim okay so you both submitted an article titled um, A Roadmap to Decarbonize Gray Hydrogen Production. 
Uh, can you please discuss the background of this article? Uh, what inspired you exactly? Sure, I can take that. So, um, similar to, to what you said there, the larger context to this is um, we were assisting the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, who were um, developing a report on assessing how hydrogen production uh, can be uh, decarbonized globally uh, in line with the Paris Agreement. So that's, as Joris mentioned, in line with a, a 1.5 degree C warming or less by 2050. Um, now, this report is quite broad. It covers green hydrogen. It covers new blue hydrogen. Um, but it also covers existing gray hydrogen. And it's, it's that that uh, we were focusing on. Uh, developing the roadmaps for grey hydrogen decarbonisation and providing insight on the, the viability of the different carbon capture schemes you might have in units of that nature and also quantifying the amount of low carbon biofeed required you'd need to reach those emissions targets. Okay, so why is this study relevant to the industry? Okay, I'll answer that one. So, um, well, it's, it's a big transition we're facing, of course. So uh, the, the 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 expectation is that <clears throat> crude oil consumption, well, it should drop significantly. And there's a big question around uh, the use or usability of refinery assets in general. Uh, but on the other hand, hydrogen demand is expected to explode, and and it should be low in carbon intensity at the same time. So the question is, what 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 is the role? of the steam methane reformers uh, that exist, potential new ones in refineries and elsewhere. And uh, therefore it's important to understand so uh, how net zero blue hydrogen, so gray hydrogen with capture uh, can be achieved. So, uh, and uh, because at the moment it looks like there will be not, no ban on, on any specific technology. So blue hydrogen, uh, maybe it's contested in some uh, and, and by some, but uh, there's no there's no it's no prohibited at the moment. what what is uh, what we are facing is a uh, is a cap on carbon intensity. So in the in Europe and in the US, we're talking about uh, limits of two to three kilos of co two emitted per ton uh, per kilo of hydrogen uh, generated. so or three tons two to three tons per ton, CO2 max per ton of hydrogen. Now at the moment with, uh, with, with grey hydrogen, we're more around 10 tons of CO2 generated per ton of uh, hydrogen uh, produced. So, um, oh, and by the way, um, in our, in our uh, evaluation, we also uh, account for the upstream, uh, the, the scope two and scope three emissions. So not just the emission from the steam methane reform itself, but also the, uh, the upstream emissions. So the, Scope two is the emissions related to uh, electricity imports. These are relatively minor, but scope three emissions, they are significant. And uh, uh, mainly because um, because of methane leakage uh, that 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 exists for steam methane reformers that use methane, of course. And um, so um, that that quantification uh, of, of all these things is is important. So what do we do to uh, to stay below below this two three uh, tons per ton uh, CO, CO2 threshold? Uh, how, what is the impact uh, of each of the technologies that helps um, refineries and 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 others 
who rely on or plan to build SMRs to uh, to understand and uh, and quantify uh, things. Are there any um, other particular findings from the study that you'd like to mention? Uh, also, are, are the solutions easy to implement? Um, yeah, um, of course. The, the the main findings is actually the quantification, or the main point of the of the of the of the article and the study is the quantification of of the of the contributions of the different measures. Uh, but yeah, one one uh, one important thing is that those scope three, those upstream uh, uh, emissions, they do matter. That's not totally surprising. I think there was a study last year that pointed out that uh, hydrogen plants or blue hydrogen plants may not be uh, as uh, as as net zero as some say. So we have quantified that. So, uh, uh, but as such, it's not totally surprising. So another point that is uh, important is is the if the contribution of efficiency improvements. That's also an important finding. Is that um, uh, it's uh, it's it's relevant getting your unit more uh, energy efficient, but in in relative terms to where you need to get, it's relatively the contribution is relatively small. And this is not totally surprising either, because when you think about it afterwards, because uh, the exist most of the existing steam methane reformers already are quite efficient. So getting the additional uh, uh, amount of efficiency there is, it helps but it's not the main contributor so capture is uh, is going to be required um, <clears throat> um so and then uh, yeah another another finding is of course the the net zero emission reduction track is quite ambitious so you need to start pretty soon on uh, on working on it and so probably thinking about carbon capture uh, is it easy to implement? Uh, well, take, um, from the cost point of view, probably not. Capture is expensive, so it's costing, but the technology is there. Um, same for efficiency improvements. It's uh, efficiency improvements, especially for a new units, are key. You really uh, need to uh, to maximize the efficiency, and also think about how you design the units in terms of steam exports. We we, we we haven't spoken about that. Hydrogen plants, they produce hydrogen, of course, but steam methane reformers, they also tend to produce steam as, an, as, an, as a byproduct. And there's a tendency to design the new units with, uh, with little or no steam exports. And so that's something to consider. Um, uh, more efficient units tend to be the new ones without steam export. So um, you, when you build a new unit, so when you build an old unit, well, when you have an old unit, uh, is it is it easy to implement? Um, well, uh, post post uh, efficiency improvements. That is, sorry. Uh, then uh, no, it's it's not technically uh, everything's possible, but it will cost you uh, a, a lot of money very quickly if you if you have an inefficient unit. Then you're getting to a very major revamp pretty pretty quickly to get significant um, efficiency improvements. So yeah, that's uh, that's everything in a in a not so small nutshell. I mean, of course, finances are, are always uh, something to consider. Uh, so mm -hmm. did either of you learn anything from this study? Uh, did anything surprise you? I think um follows on qu quite nicely from what Yoris said there regarding the, the relatively small contribution that efficiency improvements make. And the thing that the thing that I found surprising was the magnitudes of low carbon feed required as part of the the feedstock blend. Um, 
to achieve the emissions targets that we are looking at. So really depending on the um, the process design, but um, majorly the uh, carbon capture technology that's implemented, the amount of low carbon feed required can vary from as low as 15, 16% all the way up to around 69, 70%. Um, it's important to clarify as well when we're discussing that, that is of the feedstock to the reactor and doesn't take into consideration the fuel used in the SMR furnace. In our study, we've assumed that that stays fossil based and then we've just introduced low carbon feedstock um, into the reactor feed. Thank you, Thomas. So is there a clear winner pre-combustion or uh, post-combustion? Um, I think it very much depends on what the operator's goals are. So um, the intended remaining life cycle of the unit, um, the extent of the decarbonization that's targeted, and as well the availability of biofeed, how, how much biofeed the operator of the unit has access to. I think if net zero emissions is really the goal, then post-combustion capture offers a pathway with a much lower biofeed requirement naturally um, and perhaps could be a better selection. However, if in a particular instance biofeed was readily available or if perhaps a um, lower carbon intensity reduction was required. So, um, for example, with pre-combustion capture, you can achieve between 60 to 75% reduction in carbon intensity, net carbon intensity, even with a, a purely fossil-based feed. So it really depends on the goals of the operator, I think. So you've been focusing on SMRs. Uh, do you have an understanding of how the emissions and the emission reduction paths of SMRs um, compare to other hydrogen production technologies? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, we have the capability to model the uh, ATRs, which is one alter significant alternative of blue hydrogen source, so autothermal reformers um, as well, but uh, we didn't do that primarily because of uh, time constraints, but uh, the WBCSD, so the World Business Council on Sustainable Development, who are, um, yeah, who asked us really to look at the SMRs, <clears throat> they and their um, report uh, which will be published i understand early next year they cover um green hydrogen and uh, atrs as well so i can refer to that of course um but i can of course uh, yeah say something about that for example the autothermal reformers they have the uh, advantage that they they don't have a separate fuel firing uh, system so that means that uh, you can use uh, pre-combustion capture on the stream that contains all the CO2 and uh, pre-combustion capture is, is, is cheaper and, uh, and, and easier uh, because you apply it on a stream that is rich in, richer in CO2 typically and higher in pressure. That's, uh, that's an advantage. So and therefore um, uh, the efficiencies or the capture, the, the capture efficiencies claimed in uh, pre-combustion are 95%, while for post-combustion it's more like 90%. Now, ATRs, they they don't really intrinsically emit less uh, CO2 than SMRs, uh, but they uh, theoretically offer a slightly higher capture uh, rate because they are 
pre-combustion. Now the uh, conclusions in the um, in the uh, World Business Council Sustainable Development uh, paper seem to be quite similar in the sense that they expect that about 20% of uh, uh, low carbon intensity feed will be required. When we talk about low carbon intensity feed, that's uh, was bio biomethane. Uh, one specific, uh, yeah, I guess you can also have that can have different carbon intensities, but one specific source of, of biomethane. So 20%, which is similar to the uh, to the SMR uh, pre uh, post combustion case. Um, something else, uh, yeah, green green hydrogen carbon intensity. Um, I remember one 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 example here is that I think they say that uh, for uh, wind wind powered electrolysis based uh, hydrogen, the carbon intensity will be 0.5 to 1 tons of CO2 per ton of ton of hydrogen. So that's quite low, um, which is comparable to what you get with the uh, post combustion on the on the uh, for the uh, for the gray to, to the blue hydrogen systems. And then uh, also what I found was interesting is that for solar powered electrolysis, uh, it depends a lot on the system. There's a graph in the in the report that shows how the uh, uh, the carbon intensity of green hydrogen from solar powered elect electrolyzers um, depends on on where this, the uh, uh, the solar um, uh, panels are being uh, produced and what the actual carbon intensity of the electricity grid um, uh, that the solar panel manufacturers are using um, uh, is that that grid the, the carbon intensity there of the of the of the power used by the solar panel manufacturers um, affects the uh, intensity of the hydrogen produced. Uh, and then in the report, finally, not not unimportant of, of course, is that the it also mentions downstream and transport uh, footprint issues, because in our study, we only uh, considered upstream and site emissions, and we assumed that the hydrogen would be produced uh, would be consumed, excuse me, locally uh, by a nearby site, which is uh, in many cases going to be the case. But of course, if you say we're going to produce hydrogen to use in uh, yeah in cars or whatever, uh, then you need also to look at the the downstream footprint, and that's being considered by the WBC as the um, report as well. Thank you, Joris. Um, that's all I, I had for you all today. Thank you. Unless you had some final thoughts, um, I can wrap things up for us. Yeah, this is. I think this is this is relevant carbon intensity and stuff, not just for hydrogen, but for uh, all products we see it for the fuels and and ultimately we we'll get it for chemicals. That's a bit, of course, outside of the uh, the the scope of work for H2 Tech, but we are looking at that as well. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm curious to see how, of course, things evolve in the future with uh, the hydrogen business becoming bigger and greener, hopefully. Uh, well, thank you both for joining us today um, and, and taking time out of your days to speak to our audience. Um, I hope to have you on again, uh, you know, one of these days, maybe after your article is released. Uh, Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, it's good to be on. Thanks, Tyler. No problem. And thank you to the listeners for joining us for another episode of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe, and thanks for stopping by.